Welcome everyone to The Finance Show with Joe. As always, I am your host, Joseph Doutwood. I'm an economist, I'm a mathematician, I'm a mortgage broker, and I am also the founder of It's Simple Finance. The Finance Show with Joe was created for episodes like this. I am so proud to introduce my guest today. My guest, Bradley Gimbert, is an Indigenous man from Western Sydney. He is the owner and operator of Indigenous Wealth, and they have recently just passed their three-year anniversary. He should be nominated for Australian of the Year because of the mission that Indigenous Wealth is on. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. Thanks for the intro as well. <laughs> That'll do me. No, that's good stuff. <laughs> the reason why I say Brad should be nominated for Australian of the Year is because of what he has done for Indigenous Australians. Brad, could you give us a little bit of insight into Indigenous wealth and basically what you have created? 100%. So uh, firstly, look, uh, Indigenous wealth, so we're 100% uh, Aboriginal owned and operated. As I said, my name is Bradley Gimbert from Western Sydney. I come from Blacktown. I'm um, now living in lovely Maroubra, so a bit of a difference. Now, uh, so Indigenous Wealth, I started Indigenous Wealth uh, because I basically want to make uh, Aboriginal people successful. So that's the mission of Indigenous Wealth, purely to help Aboriginal people become economically successful. How we do that right now is through property investment. Mm -hmm. The reason why is because property has made more millionaires than any other, any other asset class in the world. Uh, in Australia, your wealth is very much tied to property. If you have property, you're probably wealthy. Uh, and there's basically no generational wealth for my people. There's not much assets getting passed down generation to generation. And so we just wanted to change that. Um, in terms of like who we help, so a typical client, it's Aboriginal person generally. So we've got like young people investing before their 20s, you know, older people investing to set up their retirement, self-fund their retirement. Uh, you know, we've got people that are first in their uh, family to even own a property, now, now multi-property investors. Um, so we're really just trying to change, be, be the change that we want to see, essentially. And with Indigenous wealth, I want to touch on one thing that you mentioned there. It's creating that generational wealth. Mm. We know Australia's history, the stolen generation. Mm -hmm. That hasn't really been created for Indigenous Australians before, has it? Not at all. So actually now there's, there's more opportunity now for, for our people than there ever has been post-colonization right, mm -hmm. right now. So uh, basically it's... Up until, you know, 50, 60 years ago, it was almost impossible for Aboriginal people to, to even own a property. So obviously generational wealth has been off the table. Like creating family wealth has just been completely off the table. Whereas now that's not the case. You know, as an Aboriginal man, I can go into Commonwealth Bank here in Martin Place if I want, um, get a million dollar loan, get that, get, use that five million dollar property, sell it for five million dollars if I can, mm -hmm. uh, and made four million dollars as an Aboriginal man. So right now there's more opportunity than there ever has been for our people and that goes hand in hand with the obligation to do so, you know, because our ancestors survived, you know, genocide, the stolen generation, as you mentioned, massacres literally, you know, 60, 70 years ago, um, sanctioned by the government. And now we're here mm -hmm. in this place where we're able to thrive. So our people survived very much. So now we can, we can thrive. And so that obligation as an Aboriginal person is to, to, to make that transition or defer it to your next generation. That is absolutely amazing. I just love hearing these stories because you hear so many people trying to create wealth and mm. all these things. And we know when Italians, Greeks, yeah, even Lebanese, when they first came out to the 70s and 80s, I think it was 50s, 60s, 70s, I can't remember exact range. They were just giving out land. Exactly. They said, go farm on this land, create something. And they're actually giving it to people whilst they're taking it away from other individuals. So it's just such a remarkable thing to see someone 
take action and really build for people in their community. So when did you discover your mission for Indigenous wealth? Uh, so it's been like, uh, it's just a conclusion that I draw on like through my life experiences to, to be quite frank with you. I've just sort of come to a conclusion, you know, three or four years ago, like if not me, then who, and if not now, like, and then when, right. So, um, because I'm not happy with, with how it transcribes for my people, like how, how it all comes out in the wash, you know? Um, so I was, I was adopted as a baby. My parents adopted me. Um, my long story short, my dad went bankrupt, uh, that adopted me when, when we were about, around about 12 or 13 years old. So actually at that moment, I always had a drive to, to make number one, myself successful and my family successful, but always felt indebted to my family for, for adopting me and giving me a fresh start at life. Cause both my parents were, were heroin addicts, you know, so if they didn't adopt me. I will definitely wouldn't have the opportunity to create what I'm, what I'm creating right now. So I always felt indebted to, to be able to want to, want to set them up and, and make them successful. So about 12 or 13 years old, I was always like, well, I've, it's up to me to, to, to make this sort of happen. My brother and sister are off, you know, having kids and got their own sort of problems. And I'm the you know, youngest and some, somewhat brightest in some sort of way, you know, the little white, blue collar and things like that. Um, and I just thought, you know, if not me, then who's going to do it? You know, so started on a path, built a career, found my way into property when I was like 19. Um, bought my first property before I was 20. Uh, was in a company, like I thought, this is, this is the ticket, going to get us all out, doing really well. Uh, reached a point where I was like a trainee mortgage broker. I was doing a sales BDM role, you know, several hundred thousand a year, literally still living in housing commission, um, catching a bus back to Blacktown. And then uh, tipped off my career and then I got locked up. So went to jail. Long story short, was uh, I lived in a not so good area. A uh, sex offender tried to prey on my knees, got into a fight. Long story short, got locked up. Um, so I had to sell my property, basically start from scratch. Uh, as I got out, I helped set up a business with a friend. Um, two years down the track, that business ended up not going the way I wanted it to be. Like obviously me being a business owner. Um, so we left, uh, right at the end of that though, was at a Mark Burris seminar and he was talking about identifying your niche, uh, and serving a community and, and creating change and all this sort of stuff. And straight away right there, I actually have the notes in my phone, like uh, where I made them and it was uh, Aboriginal property, Aboriginal finance, like just brainstorming, you know, it was an idea. It was like November 2019, I think. And then we launched in February, 2020. So I just had a, like, we just had that idea. started working with, I was working with a bunch of odd jobs, um, just to, so I could get that off the ground. Then once I got off the ground, then I sort of went full time. So why I bring up the jail thing is because always growing up, I was always like one of a few Aboriginal people. And so that's odd. Maybe it's just because there's not so many of us or whatever it is. When I went to jail though, I was part of the majority. Anywhere we were, I was definitely part of the majority, which is a quite weird feeling because I've always been like the minority. Um, and so I realized like that system is there and unjustly affects Aboriginal people. And then when I started getting into business, also realized as well, there's not many of us here and I just didn't really understand. There's all these systems in place that just unjustly affect Aboriginal people. And I just don't like that. Like I feel, always felt like I was a rich person in my head. Like I was going to be successful, always knew that I was going to be successful. Um, and like some experiences at school, like they'd make a tutor sit with you. And I thought, like get them to sit with the just silly guy at the back. I'm doing okay. And then throughout life, like all these experiences just collated. And I just realized like there's all these systems in place that have, you know, it's just got this idea that we're all broke or poor or, or stupid or anything like that. And I just didn't like that at all. And I come up with this idea and then I realized there's actually a lot of like high income earning Aboriginal people. There's a lot of appetite for, for wanting to become successful. Like, believe it or not, Aboriginal people have big goals and, and want to be successful too, but there's no vehicle for that, you know, because it just seems to not be a, not be the case. And so I started off down the path of obviously we know property is a really handy tool. Um, and I realized just how many systems are in place or how many barriers that my people face. And I just realized, oh shit, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? So I just 
started putting one foot in front of the other, started helping clients. At first, when I first started Indigenous Wealth, I was like, well, there's no Aboriginal property investors. I seem to be the only one. Um, we could, well, I was doing a bunch of research, hired a researcher even. And if we could only come up with less than 100 Aboriginal property investors. I said, well, that's broken, right, firstly. Um, so just started on the path. I actually used to do it for free. I was actually doing it for free just because I wanted to create some Aboriginal investors. Some deals actually like, cost me money. Um, but I just wanted to put some runs on the board. And so then we just got moving and now I realized there's like actually a massive appetite for it. Now we've got to expand into some much other things because as I said, the mission is just to help Aboriginal people become successful, not to help Aboriginal people buy property. It's just to help us become successful, create generational wealth, set up our next generations essentially. So, so where did that come from? What, what systems have you put in place? You, you're talking about, you know, assisting them with purchasing investments or purchasing property. How do we make sure it is the right property for these individuals to be able to grow that wealth? Well, the first thing is like when we sit down with a client, it's all about like them and their goals, right? So what is it that you're trying to achieve? What is the ideal end outcome? What's like your risk profile? Like how uh, accepting are they of risk versus not accepting? Um, and then what resources do they have? And also like where do we want to end up and in, in what time frame? From there, you're going to be able to dictate, like, you know, they need to acquire a lot of properties, not not, not many properties. Like, what is what is the range that we're sort of working with, firstly? Uh, but how we determine that's all based in research. Like, obviously, it's just like around where's the capital growth, like the three main metrics, always like, you know, capital growth, rent covers, holding costs, slow vacancy rates. But then weighting one in each way of like, are we focusing on capital growth? Are we focusing on cash flow? Like, is the purpose to help them set up their kids? Is the purpose for them to retire in five years? Is the purpose for them to retire in 40 years? And obviously what each one of those people are buying is vastly different. And so we just provide all the research for them to to enable them to make the best informed decision. Ultimately, they lead a lot of the way and we just give a lot of the education. So it's very much about educating our people as much as it is, as it is about getting a really good result. Mm. Because on one side, we want to create you know successful Aboriginal property investors. On another side, we want to create great Aboriginal pathways. So Aboriginal people in the, in the roles of doing those things. Um, and through that entire thing, we're really just changing generationally what it means to be Aboriginal because we're just trying to get rid of that whole ownership poverty, you know, like just forever. Every black fellow I know has touched poverty, you know, it's briefly been immersed by it, stuck in it, never getting out of it. Everyone's touched it really at some point in their life. And I just want to just get that off the table. Um, yeah. Absolutely amazing. As I said, he does need to be Australian of the what he's doing. So obviously you've been operating for three years. Actually, you started at the same time we did, funnily enough. Would you be able to give us some insight or some success stories over the last three years? What have you what have been your favorite success stories? Oh, for sure. There's so there's so many. We're starting to get them out in case studies, which is exciting. And it's like it's the most rewarding part of, of my business for sure, because I just remember thinking, I'm like, I hope this works, you know. And then now we've got my success, like I've got you know, Cody from Brisbane, he's on his fourth property. We've got Brendan Sharon from Chinchilla, which is such a country town after a country town. They're on their fourth, only started at the end of the last year. Got young investors, you know, like growing up in house commission, very similar to me, uh, starting before they're 20, you know, uh, even younger than me. And then what else we got? You know, you've got a lot of older mob, like starting where they think it's like completely off the table. A lot of, uh, a lot of clients where they're the first, like most of my clients are like cycle breakers. They're like the first of their family to even think about doing something, something else. So definitely owning a property for the first time is, uh, for the first, as the first one in their family is, you know, miraculous mm-hmm. in general. And now they've gone on to buy their second and third and sometimes fourth property. 
I think, man, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty powerful. It's, it's, so. it's definitely a very special thing, especially being able to create that for a whole ecosystem. Basically, you're, you're creating for the entire Aboriginal community. And I just think, number one, why wasn't this done before? And number two, how much further can you go? Which is pretty cool. Yeah. I still feel like as we keep going, uh, I still... It just feels like we're scraping the surface each time and I make a big monumental quantum leap and yeah. like amazing. And it's like, wait a second, this is scratch, scratching the surface again. And then you find another. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, and we've got. How many uh, people in your team now? Uh, so if we have a collection of the whole team, we're probably looking at around about like six to eight ish, depending. Mm-hmm. Um, directly, we're, we're actually, we're actually growing right now. So mm-hmm. trying to bring on some, some weapons. Um, so we're building our core team out. We're expanding nationally, like in a very short while. Our services are growing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of wealth is getting put. Like there's a lot of equity gains been ha- happening for our people, which is probably the most exciting part. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going pretty well. That's that's amazing. So, give me some insight. Mm-hmm. What trends have you noticed recently in the property market, especially with your buyers? Well, what we're noticing, well, firstly, is like. Rents are going through the roof, so yield's good. Uh, but in general, uh, there's just not as much supply. Like obviously, the supply is has always been a bit of an issue. Now more than ever, I think with the with the government holding up approvals and the density issue, that's just growing on the population issue, which is essentially pushing prices even in this hard time. So I guess trends like you, you're just getting much more opportunity there's there's much more economic growth there's much more uh how do we say like investment into areas to to become self-sufficient there's much more like growth prospects happening Mm -hmm. which is great because you got to accommodate for for growing populations and could you give us an example of a growing suburb or a growing area that you think is going to be that's on the money that place is going to succeed yeah, so you've got like a really good rising market is like Perth in general, but there's a lot of sub markets like within there. Like you've got like City of Wanneroo, you've got like Mandura, Serpentine, Yarradale region, um, City of Swan, we've done a few deals out of as well. They're all sort of like independent of each other, which is doing doing really well. Mm-hmm. City of Wanneroo is like probably a typical, it's going to have a lot of people moving in there over the next 10 or 15 years. Is there a reason why? Uh, well, they've invested heavily in the economy over there. It's sort of been marked as a priority area, I believe. And so- there's just a lot of economic infrastructure over there. So I think they're coming off of a bit of a boom bust period. Like Perth's like a bit of a turbulent time. And per- Perth is always turbulent just because of, you the know, mining. the mining. Yeah, of course. Like so there's always been like a, mi- a glorified mining town, you know, but now it's a, it's essentially reinvested back into a well-diversified economy and a well-diversified economy, uh, economy is essentially what's going to hinge the property market and allow it to continue to grow. And I think that's where they sort of lacked previously is it's sort of then quite boom and bust, boom and bust, uh, considering whatever the mines are doing. Because mm-hmm. now you've got a much more diversified economy and uh, people making money in other areas and mining. So that just holds it up. Then that paired up with the, like their rental crisis uh, is is probably worse than what we're experiencing over here. It's like a 1% vacancy rate. Just in, yeah, across the board, which yep. is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, good for investors, obviously, not good for tenants, but good for investors. And so that paired up with like good, reasonable growth prospects, plus population increases and, you know, now 400,000 or, 400, or so migrants are going to be coming. Uh, it's a pretty strong market to be investing in. Do we, are we seeing more apartments or are we seeing more house land packages out that way? 
Yeah, there is a lot of like uh, apartments and townhouses as you get closer to the CBD, mm-hmm. a lot of house and land packages. And I think uh, as we go on, like house and land is going to be extremely sought after. I think where the government is letting everyone down is like they're not letting through a lot of those approvals for higher density. Mm-hmm. So we, we need the higher density, obviously. Um, so I think you're seeing just like it's still as what you would expect. You know, you've got a mixed bag, apartments, townhouses, houses. Mm-hmm. As time goes on, I think we're going to see that shift a little bit more in the way of apartments and townhouses just out of pure necessity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, right now, still pretty good opportunities to still get on some pretty good land in quite good estates, but I think as time goes on now. I just love what you said about the government. It's like we're all out of, we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, they've gone out and said, oh, okay, we're not going to approve as many places to build. We're not going to, you know, give you your OC, your occupation certificate. We're not, we're not going to allow all that. Here's another 400,000 people. Yeah, <laughs> Go nuts. Oh, and interest rates are up too. Like yeah. it just, it does not seem it's like. Scratching the head. What's going wrong? That's yeah. Idea, so. L- leading into that, mm. what do you think of the new interest rate change? Ah, uh, mate, I think it's a, abs- like the last three, it'll probably a kick in the teeth. Um, not, from my point of view, not unexpected, just the nature of the government in general. Uh, but it's a complete kick in the teeth because obviously, you know, 2020, we're not going to put rates up for four years. Now, 2023, we're what, 12th? rate rise. I think it's more, I think 13. 12 in a row and then they paused one month and then they did another two. Okay. So we're like 14 or so now. Yeah. Can't even keep up with it. Um, and the, the men, like how much they put them up by is just, just compounds the problem, you know? So yeah, just a complete swoop in by the government. It's, yeah. Just keep, keep by the teeth. I just having a look now at the data and you probably see me on social media, I kind of click it a little bit every now and then, especially when these rate rises go. And so I should. Absolutely. Um, but $370 billion in home loans are coming off fixed rates and going to variable rates. Mm, problematic. If you take the average loan size of $500,000, that's 640,000 loans that are going to go from normal, like the fixed rate that they're on to the revert rate, which is about... 2% higher than what they advertise. Gotcha. And I think this is going to, this is, this is the time where it's actually going to cause a definite recessionary period. The, I don't think the inflation is going to exist anymore because I genuinely don't know who is still spending money. It's, it's so confusing to me. There's no supply. There's no stock out there for anyone to be able to buy property, yet the inflation keeps going up. So I'm just trying to figure out why is it still going up? Who's spending money? Retail's down. You know, it's just cost of construction materials that's really in it's it. Balancing it out, keeping it moving. I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to make sense of it. So the future of the market, are we going to see more distressed sales? Are we going to see more people in economic strife? What do you think is going to happen in the next two months? I think the next six leading on to 12 months is just going to be challenging in general. I think it's going to be interesting to see because obviously you've got the other metrics of like household wealth at its highest and things like that. So uh, distressed sales, are obviously you're going to start seeing those because people aren't going to be able to keep up with their mortgages and that's a ridiculous amount of people that are coming off fixed rates. So you're going to probably see a lot of movement in the market as a, as a result of that. Um, but I just wonder to what degree do the investors catch that, mm-hmm. you know, um, because we know about past recessionary times is like opportunity for buying and people are more educated than ever and there's a bit more money than sort of ever. So I just wonder to what degree do they catch that and do the people that are exiting the market not be able to return back. So it's creating definitely a much divided split. You know, if you weren't in the market or exiting the market, you're going to have a hard time getting back in the market. Plus with rental, um, 
with the rental increases and demand, like it's just not going anywhere. So it's going to be harder and harder and more expensive and more expensive to rent. And there's people exiting, they're going to, just going to be renting. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of a roll on of problems. It seems like that we're facing, but um, yeah, we just do what we can. And what do you think we should be telling people to kind of make themselves recession proof? Look, the thing is like with, so when we're in investing in general, so obviously owner, the, the thing about all these interest rate rises is that it, it unjustly affects owner occupiers. You just cop it and there's nowhere to go. You know, it's the exact reason we went homeless. You know, my dad just couldn't afford the, the mortgage repayments, had to sell, sold at a loss, declare bankruptcy, off you go, house commission. And so uh, owner-occupied debt is what you want to keep your eye on. Investment debt, as long as you're buying assets that are going to be, the yields are high enough where it's going to pay for themselves. While that's harder, like much harder in today's market, and each time they put the rates up, it gets harder again, um, that helps. You know, taking $100, paying $100 towards your $800 mortgage is very different to paying $800 mortgage where it was $500 for, you know, a few a few months ago. So uh, investing is going to help. It's just not going to recession-proof you. I think uh, keeping an eye on your spending, um, bringing those expenses down, like while it's all, you know, very generic type of information, is you just want to bring those expenses down, keep an eye on your household debt, see what you can do. If you can, if you've got a pretty high rate, see so if you can refinance, if you've got a better, posi- better position. Um, yeah. Perfect. Brad, it's been absolutely amazing to have you on. Where can our listeners find you? You can find us on Instagram. Uh, so Indigenous Wells is our Instagram. We've got, uh, you've got me on LinkedIn, our website, www.indigenouswells.com.au. Um, yeah, reach out, Savian. And the best email address for individuals to reach you out on? Um, you can reach my personal one. So it's uh, brad at indigenouswells.com.au. Yep. Info at indigenouswells.com.au. Either one works. And one thing I do want to touch on very quickly, are we going to stay just for Indigenous Australians or will you help everyone out? Indigenous wealth will help just Indigenous Australians. Mm-hmm. That being said, there's a lot of pieces moving at the moment, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Good to know. And I want to thank you all for listening to The Finance Show with Joe. As always, you can find us on www.itsimple.com.au. You can also email us at info at itsimple.com.au. If you want to watch these videos, you can check us out on Instagram and TikTok at It's Simple Finance, and you can also find us on LinkedIn. Brad, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me.